Welcome back to Read, Read, Read with your host, Joanne Burrell, on the CWR Talk Network. CWR Talk Network. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Read, Read, Read radio show on the CWR Talk Network. I am your host, Joanne Burrell. Thank you for tuning in today. I am so happy to have this opportunity to be here, and the purpose of the Read, Read, Read radio show is to encourage students in underserved communities to read more. For this program, we are seeking college and high school students to be matched up to mentor youth to participate in the Read, Read, Read mentoring program and book club sponsored by the CWR Talk Network and Jeanette's Joy Community Services. As I stated, this partnership was formed to help the youth in Title I schools in economically challenged communities. This new mentoring initiative coordinates college students to mentor students in one-on-one relationships for young people who are in elementary, middle, and high school facing challenges, and needing support to succeed. Mentors will meet their mentees. Tours will meet their mentees online one hour per week. And this is to encourage positive development of young people by sharing fun activities, having conversations around the books they are reading, making positive choices, and promoting high self-esteem. Right now, we're going to go into our first commercial break, and we'll be right back. During the month of February, the CWR Talk Network is proud to present our special series, Black American Achievement Profiles, honoring the achievement of black Americans from the past and the present, sponsored by Bass Edwards and Associate Virtual Services Corporation, the leader in work-from-home opportunities. Bessie Coleman was one of 13 children to Susan and George Coleman, who both worked as sharecroppers. 
When she was 12 years old, Coleman began attending the Missionary Baptist Church in Texas and after graduation embarked on a journey to Oklahoma to attend the Oklahoma Colored Agricultural and Norman University, now Langston University, where she completed only one term due to financial constraints. In 1915, at age 23, Coleman moved to Chicago, where she lived with her brothers and worked as a manicurist. Not long after her move to Chicago, she began listening to and reading stories of World War I pilots, which sparked her interest in aviation. In 1922, a time of both gender and racial discrimination, Coleman broke barriers and became the world's first black woman to earn a pilot's license. Because flying schools in the United States denied her entry, she took it upon herself to learn French and moved to France to achieve her goal. After only seven months, Coleman earned her license from France's well-known Cauldron Brothers School of Aviation. Although she wanted to start a flying school for African Americans when she returned to the U.S., Coleman specialized in stunt flying and parachuting and earned a living barnstorming and performing aerial tricks. In 1922, she became the first African-American woman to make a public flight. Tragically, on April 30, 1926, Coleman was killed in an act during a rehearsal for an aerial show. She was only 33 years old. Coleman remains a pioneer for women in the field of aviation. Betsy Coleman, Black American history maker and American aviation pioneer. Listen for more Black American Achievement Profiles throughout the month on the CWR Talk Network. Black American Achievement Profiles is sponsored by the Bass Edwards Associate Virtual Services Corporation, the innovative solution to at-home work opportunities by reaching new pinnacles every day with ingenuity, integrity, and class. For more information, call 405-928-3254. party today? Me again, Mom. Where did I put my history book? Hi. Sorry, forgot one last thing. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. At school, I start looking out the window, and then I forget what I was supposed to be thinking about. I know it seems like I don't care, but I do. It's just difficult for me. Love you, Mom. Bye. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. online, you can be a witness and make a difference by letting the world know it isn't cool and by letting your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Perry Wynn, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, yeah, how are you, you today? Yes, How ma'am. are you today? I'm I'm doing just fine. I'm glad to have you as a guest today. So tell us about um 
tell us about how you approached your parents about becoming a member of the NAACP at the age of eight. Well, I was going just just uh, just to had to go to church, but I wasn't a member of the AME church. But there was a preacher there, and he mostly went over the history of Richard Allen and the AME church history. And he also told how uh, we must all get involved in in what was going on with the NAACP and other organizations like uh, SCLC. But uh, the NAAC was more well known in our area of Tennessee, so I got involved with that. And my parents uh, told me that uh, uh, I would have to pay my own membership. So I started actually about three years early at eight, and I had to pay my own membership, you know, and they just gave it to them. And then when you get 11 or 12, you can become a, a youth member. Um so I, I just, I've been in ever since, and that's like uh, 52 years ago. I'm 60 now, so, and um, and I just think everybody should get involved in some some organization that was formed way before we was born, and there have been successes uh, with organizations like the NAACP, SCLC, and the Urban League, and other organizations, too. Yes, yes, I I think it's very important for for kids to have that same attitude that you had when you were eight years old. Um, how did you feel about having to pay for your own membership at that young age? Well, at at that time, it, it was like I think it was around a, a dollar and fifty cent for you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't actually. It probably not even that much, but. But the adults was paying three and four dollars a year membership, and over the years it's it went up. And and I've seen it that it, it's not up high now. You know, it's it's one of the lowest organization that been around for over a hundred years. That that's only just thirty dollars to become a member, and that's you know that's two or three trips to McDonald's in one day uh in other fast food restaurant and you you can pay it, you know, and become a life member, you can also pay per year till you get to become a life a life member then golden life and then there's a I think it's one more. You don't have to pay no more for the rest of your life but but it the life membership lasts for ten years and then you can renew for another Ten years, and then I think, I think the last one is you you paid up for life, you know, and that's I'm like it's I'm like it's um like I said, it don't take much, and uh, and they do a lot of great work. Uh, and, and what is know, where? Okay, and where did you grow up, Mister Wynn? I grew up in a town called Coloco. Tennessee is in it's in southeast Mary County. It's is uh south of Nashville and about a, about seventy miles south of Nashville and about sixty miles north of Huntsville, Alabama. And um also uh most of my mama's people is from a town called Pulaski, Tennessee, that's in Jazz County, Tennessee. Um, that's kinda like the 
birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan, but also it's a black town. So imagine that, that uh, uh, blacks own their own land, own their own property, been owned for over 100 years, and also it was a place where U.S. colored troops were stationed during the uh, uh, Civil War. Uh, the southern part of Tennessee and the northern Alabama, uh, there was a lot of union encampment there. And a lot of people don't know that, and, and that's something that uh, when people celebrating uh, Juneteenth, you know, uh, it's good to celebrate with Texas because they got a real history about that. But it's good to celebrate them. But every state must know their own place. And uh, of course, Tennessee wasn't included in the uh, proclamation. But, uh, proclamation, proclamation. I can't help pronounce that word. But uh, there's a reason why, and uh, and uh, and what is that reason? Yeah. Can, you, can you talk about it? Well, uh, the the union, uh, the union, the federal government, which is the president at that time, Abraham Lincoln, he said that Tennessee was in open rebellion against the union forces. So by it not being an open rebellion. Uh, they made deals with what what uh, what the Southern planners that uh, Southern Confederate they made kind of like a deal with them and said, well, you know, we're not gonna count, you know, you you know, this state not in open rebellion, but I uh, through my history uh, studying this stuff in school, I, I said, I can Tennessee not be in an open rebellion against the Union when uh, they had Nathan Baker Forest and you know. I know there was a lot of Union troops in the state too, Grant and all that, but uh, it it was an open rebellion against the Union. But uh, but to make a deal with the with the Southern and um, with uh, Unionists, which was Andrew Johnson was considered Union from East Tennessee, and he was a Democrat, but he was uh, he was a uh, uh, Union sympathizer. So he he went along with the president, and he was the military governor throughout the time of Tennessee in the Civil War time. Uh, he was the uh, federal union governor of Tennessee, and Tennessee fell early in the Civil War because Nashville, Memphis, Knoxville, Chattanooga, uh, it fell early, so it was considered. The, the rebellion put down. That's what they considered it as. Well. But uh, you have to read for the end of that to see that. That uh, on on after that you read that the um, the Emancipation Proclamation did not receive a single or slave. It wasn't designed. It was just something to appease the Southern uh, Confederate the the to help get them to come back into the Union, but. You know, years later, you know, Tennessee was the first state readmitted back into the Union because the influence of uh, Andrew Johnson, which he, which he, he done away with all the policies that uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln had. We don't know whether that was something that Abraham knew who he would do, but I, uh, you got to study it real good because it, it was it was too strange for him to tell him the Southern Democrat is his 
because it's like president. And then he later became president. Uh, same way, 100 years later, John F. Kennedy and Johnson and uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson became president. So you have to read all the history. You have to read everything. You, you can't just take everything to chance. It means that this just didn't happen. This just didn't happen to you know, it, it, It's something to it. it if somebody was planning something back in back on the back room, I think, like. Okay, that is a lot of history, um, and that's why we do this show because we want our youth to read and get involved and learn their history because you learn yes. at an early age how important it was to know your history and to get involved in changing your history, you know, uh, you're yes. changing yes. your future. Yes. So, and, and that's the purpose of this, um, this program is to get kids to be more aware of what's happening in their surroundings, in their world. Um, in the age of technology right now, a lot of our youth, they don't read books. They're not interested in learning their history. So it's important to hear stories like yours to get students and their parents more involved in in, in what's happening in the world today, voting and getting our kids to be more involved in reading and in their history, about their history. Okay, Mr. Hunt. So... Who are some of the people that you've met being involved with the NAACP at such a young age? Well, um, uh, years ago I met this pastor, E.T. Bone. He's a World War I uh, soldier from um, the First War, First uh, World War. And my granddad also served in World War One. And um, he was from Chattanooga, and he sold insurance, and he sold uh, a record, uh, black music and stuff. He had a record shop and a wig shop, you know, he had it all together. And he was uh, and he preached at three different AME churches, uh, uh, two churches, one church in Columbia and one church, three churches in Carlisle County. And, uh, and he was a big influence. And then I read about Booker T. Washington, Philip Wiggins, and um, uh, George Washington Carver, Frederick Douglass, a uh, boyhood serious book. They would see red, I mean, yellow and orange and black book, boyhood serious book. They had books on President George Washington, Alexander Hamilton. And, and that was the influence there. But then when I started finding out that people in my family were just just important too in the struggle, and, and that made me start a lifelong search for my family and what what was they doing in those years? And, and I found some great interesting things in my family, and not only my family but other families I grew up with too. And and you you you, you search the last name and stuff. And another thing too, one important thing too is doing your genealogy, you you may want to always look through all the records. Don't just look in the slave record. 
you you'll never get past that wall, that eighteen seventy wall. You'll never get past that. You gotta look in everywhere because you know, unknown to you, your family is. They could have been black. They could have been white. They could have been male. They could have been female. Of of both races. You know, it's not always to look under the the here the household can sometimes be a woman. And then that's when I found a lot of my family is here the household. And you know, it was it was kind of it was kind of strange, but but I, I I learned to find out that my great 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 grandfather on my on my daddy's side, he served in a, a civil war, but he was a mulatto. And 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 my great granddaddy was by him and a white woman in the in the community. And you found a lot of cases like that, but everybody looked the other way. But this was going on, you know, this was going on all through the the territory, you know, because when the men went off the war there was always men there, you know, like, you know, in, in later years, you know, uh, soldiers go home, go off to war, and it's a song you sang, Jody got your girl and gone, when you're gone, uh-huh. you know, so that, that was happening either way, you know, black and white, you know, and it's always been, and, uh, and so you don't always look in, in the, just the, you get past that wall, because you, you, you know, your name is, um, it's unique. It's not always necessary of, uh, like, for example, my great-great-great-grandmother was white, but she took the name Perry, which was her maiden name, but she was married to a Charles Ward, but he was a mulatto. So the family line came down to Perry instead of Ward, and that's why we were missing that sometimes. Cause, you know, we just assumed that everybody would tell us in school, uh, this white man, it's the black women and all that. But it was going on, black and white. It, it was all going along. Um, people may not want to step that, but, but we the reason, so we can't change that. So it happened both ways. Uh-huh. It, it was, right? And and uh, people don't want to step that, but, but that's, that's, that's it. That's I mean, that's how we end up. Uh, different uh-huh. colors and, and misunderstanding each other because we all the same and people say, well, we all we all God's children. Well, well that's true. If, if we all been mixed up together and and you know married and and you know uh, the the race thing now, people younger people are beginning to understand that this ain't nobody going nowhere. So. You know, this just people. If if you know, people say people treat you right. You know, you know anybody is, is supposed to be good to you. And we need to stop this racism. And um, and and we do more studying about each other, uh, about you know our needs and and there's people less fortunate ourselves of all colors and stuff. And we we may find out that we may actually get along. If we can just work. And help people less fortunate ourselves. So we may see we can get, get along with that. I agree with you, um, Mr. Wynn. It's it's something else, the world that we live in right now and uh, and my focus is on young people and they have no idea how 
what is happening today, how it started a long time ago. And because of cell phones and camera phones and police officers having cameras on their bodies to record uh, their interactions with the public, that's the only reason we're seeing all of these atrocities that's happening in the world today. Right. But let's take a break, and uh, we're going to come back and continue talking with you, Mr. Perry Wynn, about your history and some of the things that you're taking on today to do to teach others their history. So we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Matthew Pinsker. I'm a historian, and here are some things you need to know to sound smart about the 19th Amendment. The 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the one that guaranteed women the right to vote, was ratified in 1920. But the truth is women had been voting in American elections for long before that. In the early years of the Republic, for example, there were some places where women voted, in the state of New Jersey until 1807. But in most cases, women were denied the right to vote in the 19th century. They started agitating for the right to vote openly and in public in the late 1840s and early 1850s after meetings in places like Seneca Falls in New York. During the Civil War period, women were involved in the fight against slavery and the fight to save the Union. After the Civil War, leaders like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony thought that their fight to end slavery would get them included in the amendments like the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment that guaranteed the rights to former slaves, and they lost. It was a devastating blow to their cause. And so they reorganized themselves in a long campaign for suffrage. Sometimes they did this on a state-by-state or territory-by-territory basis, especially effective out west. Then there were women led by Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton who organized the National Woman's Suffrage Association. They were fighting to change the Constitution. Sometimes they fought in the courts. They actually tried to vote. Susan B. Anthony got herself arrested at one point doing that. Ultimately, these fights converged at the beginning of the 20th century and during the era of World War I. There was a serious campaign to try to change the Constitution. They had what they called silent sentinels posted outside the White House with protest signs. Those silent sentinels were arrested by municipal authorities and imprisoned. It was uh, a stark moment in the history of women's rights, women being imprisoned, and in some cases force-fed. Eventually, women gained the right to vote in states like New York. They convinced Woodrow Wilson to support women's suffrage. And finally, by 1919, the Congress had endorsed, after much struggle, this proposed amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And women began voting wholesale across the country in the presidential election of 1920. She was a great inspirational leader. She rallied hundreds of thousands of women. Susan B. Anthony changed the course of history for women in the United States. At the beginning of her career, of her dedication to women's rights, she was much despised. Her arrest for voting in the 1872 presidential election and eventual trial paved the way for women's political rights. One of the things she brought to the women's movement was a tremendous faith. Susan B. Anthony was born in 1820 in Adams, Massachusetts. She was from a tight-knit Quaker family. 
who believed in education. In the Quaker Meeting House, men and women spoke equally. And so Susan B. Anthony thought that that's the way it was everywhere. The reality was most women were uneducated, could not own property, had few legal rights, and were subservient to men. And Susan B. Anthony wanted equal rights under the law for both sexes. Anthony met Elizabeth Cady Stanton, the architect of the first women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, New York, and the duo teamed up. They were responsible for every right we have as women today. Stanton had that sort of intellectual vision. She had the way with words. And Anthony had from the beginning the vision of what it meant to build a movement. It was 1872 that Anthony caused a national sensation when she voted in a presidential election illegally. Her trial had an all-male jury, and Anthony was not permitted to speak on her own defense. The trial was rigged. Her vote didn't count, but she got great publicity value out of it. Anthony was fined $100, which she never paid. She did, however, continue to spread the word on women's rights throughout the U.S. and Europe. She appeared in front of every Congress from 1869 until 1906, the year she died. Women were finally given the right to vote in 1920. 16 years after Susan B. Anthony died. I think that every February 15th, women in this country should recognize that as Susan B. Anthony's birthday and just for a second, say thank you. Hello, we back. Welcome back to the Read, Read, Read radio show on the CWR Network with your host, Joanne Burrow. Mentoring is a long-term relationship where the focus is on supporting the growth and development of the mentee. A mentor is also a source of wisdom, teaching, support, and a powerful and joyful way to make a positive impact on the life of a young person and the future of a community. And with your work, Mr. Wynn, with the NAACP since the age of eight, being in that organization, I can say that it was a way that improved your circumstances or a way for you to get involved to improve the circumstances of the community amidst turmoil and segregation for the fight for civil rights. Would you agree? Yes, yes, I definitely agree. So what are some of the things that you're doing right now, Mr. Wynn? Well, I'm... uh... I'm working to start a, a newspaper uh, in uh, in uh, Coloco. Um, there are seven states that was, uh, according to it, Illinois state map. Uh, this was territory after the territory south of the river Ohio. Uh, there's a map called the Illinois State Map, 1875 by Warren and Beard. They was map makers, and they had a map that had Illinois State is is uh, seven states that later became seven states. Uh, Tennessee was part of that. 
or Kentucky, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Louisiana. And it was called the the state of uh, Illinois that was after the Southwest Territory was formed after uh, the Southwest Territory south of the River Ohio split from North Carolina and Tennessee became a state. And then the Indian Territory opened up too, was going to the West. Because, you know, that's why sometimes when you hear Chicago called the Midwest, because that is the beginning of the West. Uh, Chicago, um, just you look at the midsection of the country, uh, Chicago. So Chicago has been the biggest city in the center of the United States for, you know, over, well, over 100 years, 200 years or longer. Uh, it was once called the second city, but now it's, uh, the second city is Los Angeles. But Chicago still carries a lot of weight. Uh, big shoulders to care. And it's kind of like a center of mid-America. Uh, there's no city in mid-America that have had more influence on not only the, the north up to Detroit and Minnesota and Wisconsin and, and North Dakota and South Dakota and over to uh, the tip of New York and, uh, uh, you know, upstate New York than Chicago in the midsection of the United States in the South. Um, you know, so if you look at the region of the country and um and now we 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 doing we want to do newspapers to kind of share our information that that been shared for years but but now we want to come together and share this information from a region standpoint and and, and this will help this help bring America closer together because, you know, we recognize Chicago, we recognize New York on the eastern part of the United States and the North Carolina and South Carolina and uh, uh, Florida, and then over to the west coast, we recognize Los Angeles. And, and the region, the understanding of, of people coming together and people learning to read and knowing our history, and, and, and that's what it's going to take. Uh, knowing who we are, where we came from, who influenced us, and, and, and what influenced us. And, you know, my people got opportunity of leaving the South. They went to places like Chicago. It was open up, even though, you know, it wasn't, they had problems there too, but but it, it was kind of open up and recognizing just a place to go. On the East Coast, they went to New York. Like I said, on the West Coast, they went to Los Angeles. And, and these centers like that, it's it, it important to America's future because they help bring people with with ideas from the South, and this is the way we should do it. And, and Chicago helped out a lot with that. And and having a reason, uh, transportation to get there, it's easy to get to Chicago. You know, like if you're from the South, you just hit north. You see a north, and, and you go east or west, you're going to end up in Chicago because, you you gonna see signs saying Chicago. You ain't gonna see New York and Los Angeles because it's it's way on the West Coast and the East Coast. But uh, and and that's the understanding that when we come together, the the new newspapers and 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 get our history out there. And I I shared history like knowing who we are, where we came from, and how people made it and made cities like Chicago great because our family came from the South. 
for better opportunity. And and whether Chicago was ready or not, Chicago was was made to be ready because the, the people from the South demanded that a better a better way a better way of life and education and and everything of that nature. So so Chicago been blessed to get the people from the South the the deep South. I'm talking about Texas, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. Um, you know. You know that's most of where they went to Chicago. You know, and 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 that's a and and that's an understanding the the to know we need to work together. The organization, uh, Joanne, your organization, uh, uh, Jeanette your Joy Community Services. Yeah, Jeanette Joy Community Service working and and working on a national level. You know, starting in Chicago, going to Maryland area, and and hopefully we hope to uh, be soon to welcome you to Tennessee, where we can have a a, a branch of a chapter there, uh, Jeanette Joy, and uh, we look forward to that. And and we got some Martin Luther King uh, uh, streets and stuff there. I'm I'm sure that would be something. Could you tell me more about how that worked with the Martin Luther King idea? Well, let's talk about your newspaper. We'll talk about that later. But let's talk about your newspaper. Okay. What are some of the things you're going to put in your newspaper? And I know well, we, mentioned, we uh, talked about the books. So what are some of the books that you will list in your okay. newspaper? Oh, Madam, Madam C.J. Walker book. And um, and those, that book there will be listed and also uh, another book, uh, the the book you wrote also, and uh, also the book uh, uh, about Frederick Douglass. That book will be listed too, because uh, this is the this is the uh, end of the coming up on the end of 2018, and I, I want to put more about that book in there about the life and, and time of Frederick Douglass. Uh-huh. It was a reading program enacted several years ago by the by the Frederick Douglass Family Initiative out of Atlanta, Georgia, and um, and they was gonna have a million books out by twenty in the twenty eighteen. Uh, I like to I like to start pushing more for that. Uh, I don't know how much it's gotten in Tennessee yet, but those books like that that tend the life of Frederick Douglass. And and um, and also they have a program with that also the SCLC work with uh, sex trafficking and and all of that that people need to know about the 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 thing going on in this country about sex slaves slavery is still going on and it's explained that in in the workshop that that the Frederick Douglass Family Initiative uh, Frederick Douglass F D F and we see. FDFI.org. Um, it's in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and it's based in Washington D.C. and across the country. But that is uh, that is something that that I like to put in a in a newspaper also about that because that's real important. Uh, the education that that teaching young people about uh, slavery is still going on. But it's going on in a form of of sex trafficking, you know, and 
and that's something that's very important that that we all need to know. And, and, people and say, what's oh, that website baby. again? It, it's fdfi.org. It's F as in Frank, D as in door, F as in Frank, I as in ivory? Yeah, right, dot .org, yes. That, okay. That is the family niche. And, um, and 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 that that book and because you know they're doing the essays from from the, from school and then in 2019 the essays gonna be done and then by 2020 they designated uh, 2020 as President Douglas' uh, 200th birthday. They gonna have a uh, they gonna give scholarships out to to young people with that or. Uh, with the scholarship, and they're going to educate you more about And they come into the school system, too. It, and when you go to the website, you'll see what opens up, how you can give to a school so much money, and they'll come in and they'll do a whole program, and they'll get the books and all that. It, it's amazing what what organization out there is. It, it, it needs our help, and it, it don't cost nothing but $4 for a book. And you give a book yeah. to a child. And and the book was redone. I mean, so everybody can read it from first, third, fifth, seventh, ninth, and eleventh. That's how it was started out. So everybody in the time the book finally got out to everybody, every mm-hmm. grade in school would have. Um, mm. and, okay. Yeah. Well we're coming up on our last ten minutes and I want to um Make sure that people know how to get in touch with you, Mr. Perry Wan, because I believe many people will want to be involved or want to provide a sponsorship or even um, provide information for your newspaper. So let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Okay. Hi, my name is Yuhuru Williams. I'm a historian, and here's what you need to know in order to sound smart about women gaining the right to vote. From the time of the American Revolution through 1920, women fought to attain the same social, political, and economic status in the United States as men. In 1920, women in the United States won the right to vote by virtue of the passage of the 19th Amendment. But the struggle to attain that right was a long one, fraught with violence, political turmoil, and social upheaval. Many of the leaders of the women's suffragist movement actually got their start in the abolitionist movement and other social reform movements in the 1830s and the 1840s. The Civil War and Reconstruction proved to be a critical moment for women pushing for the right to vote in the United States. In the aftermath of the Civil War, Congress committed itself to ensuring the right to vote for African American men through the passage of the 15th Amendment. The 15th Amendment stated that the right to vote could not be abridged or denied based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. It, however, said nothing about gender. By the turn of the century, more militant and radical voices were working their way into the fight for women's rights. Alice Paul, for instance, pushed for the adoption of an Equal Rights Amendment. One of the ways that Paul and her supporters sought to dramatize the issues associated with women's suffrage was to stage massive parades. One that they conducted on March 3, 1913, was done so to coincide with the inauguration of President Woodrow Wilson. The women hoped that this would dramatize the denial of a basic civil right to women. Authorities often brutally suppressed female suffragists who employed such tactics. Alice Paul was once placed in solitary confinement 
and beaten because of the picket she staged at the White House. The brutal treatment of female suffragists actually helped to strengthen public support for the movement. And in 1918, President Woodrow Wilson announced his own support for women winning the right to vote. The denial of more than half of the United States population to participate in the political process at one time was damning to American democracy. In 1920, that changed, and the 19th Amendment was a revolution in American politics. 1920 is a banner year and a milestone in American democracy for what it accomplished for women and what it represents for those who are marginalized in American society, even today. Listen and imagine. It takes five seconds to send a text, and for those five seconds, you're driving blind. Life is worth more than a text. Stay alive. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Read, Read, Read with your host, Joanne Burrell, on the CWR Talk Network. Hear me, Mr. Wynn? I can hear you now. Okay. Welcome back, and thank you so much for being on the radio show. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day because I know Saturdays could be busy to be on the show, to share your history, to share the work that you've been involved in for over 52 years as well as what you have in store to share with the world, with your newspaper. I know when we were talking, one of the things that resonated was, with me was the book that you shared written by Dr. Francis Cress Welsing called The Isis yes. Paper. I thought yes. that was very interesting. Could you share a little bit about that book? because we're down to our last 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, Dr. Francis West, and she was a psychologist from, uh, from uh, originally from Chicago. She lived in Washington, D.C., and she wrote the uh, Crest Theory, uh, Crest Paper Theory, the ISIS, ISIS Paper. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she wrote about the the... The color thing with this country, how racism is running rapid through symbols, and and there's nine areas of people activities, and and they use that the nine holes in in your body, uh, male body and female body too, 
and then that's that's around a golf eighteen holes, and then you got the symbols of sports symbols that that mean something, and they got symbols and 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 the assistance built on this, and it's it's the deceived, but you know, thank God for people like the late Doctor uh, Francis that she she uncovered that and she wrote about it and she done study as a doctor is a is a doctor that deal with people, man, and 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 way people act and the people activities. And and gave you a better understanding of that. And she's one of the person I met years ago, uh, back in the late nineties at, at Fish University, at the race relation conference at uh, Fish University under Dr. Raymond Winbush. He, he's at Morgan State now, and he's a great uh, historian. He's a great writer, uh, and and he's. Uh, uh, he has deal with social science issues before uh, about people relationship, and um, and that's where I met so many people like Jamie or Joan, Marvin Gotti's uh, uh, son, and then uh, the uh, W. E. Du Bois nephew. I think since they have passed away, but Paul and David. Uh, David is the son of Shirley Graham. Uh, that uh, was a uh, W. Du Bois uh, step step stepson, uh, David Duvall, mm-hmm. and um, Shirley Graham. You know, everybody knows she's a writer and uh, historian in her own stuff. I met these people there at the race conference, and, and they deal with issues in entertainment, uh, uh, movies, and you know all kinds of. Issues going on that that Dr. Francis Weston and Dr. Neely Footy Jr. They also uncover this about why people act the way they act, and they got symbols to use. And, and it's best you learn those symbols because you can help bring an end to uh, black people. We can't end a system of white supremacy, but the white can. The people that operate and act as white people in this country, they can mm-hmm. end racism overnight. But, you know, they they just they just don't have the the will and the do. But we pray that one day they come to understand that it's a system that they have to be ended. Because nobody have no peace. You know, not them, not nobody. And and we should learn to trust. And we have no trust, and that's that's not a good that's not a good world to live in. Where there's no trust, there's no understanding, and uh, and that's why read 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 is so important because you you get to come up with with things maybe you can make a difference, and and and, and that's why you push it, and everybody else pushes so much. If it's kids saying time to read read read. They they gonna be the ones that gonna gonna make it a whole lot better for them later on if they start now. Mm-hmm. Understand it, knowing. Well, again, thank you so much, Mr. Wynn, for being here on our show today. I've learned so much mm-hmm. from you, and it's been a year. 
tomorrow when I first met you through the organization um, the organization I met you with was the One Million Conscious and Conscientious Black Contributors and Voters where they're doing dynamic work as well trying to engage people to get to the polls and vote but besides I'm going to give your email address and your phone number but is there anything okay. else that you would like to share that you that you have upcoming such as needing sponsors or uh, subscribers for your newspaper um well we'll we'll be we'll be looking for subscribers and and also uh be on the lookout for the other newspaper too in, in those uh other six states plus West Virginia and Maryland, uh, they 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 states to be added in with the seven states I mentioned earlier. So it'll be it'll be nine states altogether. So when one paper come out, we'll we'll be uh, uh, and, and we won't have the same thing in them. You know, we have some of the same thing because they they'll be identified as papers working together, but. But also, but there'll, there'll be a, a lot of things local. So you look for things local in those states that's happening. And, you know, uh, the Maryland paper and the West Virginia paper care a lot on the news in Washington, D.C. It's very important that we know what's going on in Washington, D.C., no matter what part of the country we live in. So look for that. Thank you. And Mr. Perry Wynn Hunt's email address, is huntperrywin at gmail dot com, and I'll spell that out for you: H U N T P E R R Y W I N N at gmail dot com, and his phone number is nine zero one six. One nine four nine six nine. Again, you can reach Mr. Perry Wynn Hunt at nine zero one six one nine four nine six nine. We are still in need of college and high school students to mentor youth from age eight through fifteen. The mentoring program will be operated online where the mentor and the mentee will meet once a week to read, talk about their week in school, talk about their goals, and get assistance with reading for knowledge. We will also have students to read the book with their mentor, And the book is called The Montgomery Bus Boycott. This book goes from slavery through civil rights, and it gives the reader a quick view of slavery to civil rights and the things that happened and why it's so important for us to know these things today. And if you would like to sign up a child, to be a part of the reading program, or if you have 
an adult or a college or high school student that want to be a mentor with this program, please email me, Joanne Burl at Joanne Burl at gmail.com. And that is J O A N N B as in boy U R L at gmail.com. Well, folks, this is the end of our show. Thank you to our sponsors for your support. Thank you to my listeners for tuning in to the Read, Read, Read radio show on the CWR Network. We hope to see you next month with a special guest of author, Mr. Ronnie can't think of his name. I'm so sorry. But he has the book called Nelson Beats the Odds. And I will list the name of the author on my website at JeanetteJoy.org as well as on my Facebook page. Remember, one who refuses to seek the advice of others will eventually be led to a path of ruin. A mentor helps you to perceive your own weaknesses and confront them with courage. The bond between a mentor and mentee enable us to stay true to our chosen path until the very end. Commit to mentor a child today. I want to acknowledge Mr. Wynn, and thank him very much for being on the show today. Let's be thankful that our history outlives the man and woman who makes it. Until next time, peace, everyone.